0: In 1501, Michelangelo di Lodovico Buonarroti Simoni, a 26-year-old artist living in Florence, made his first cuts into a six-ton block of Carrara marble. That block had been set aside for one project more than 40 years earlier to capture one of a series of characters from the Old Testament that would decorate the majestic Cathedral of Florence in Italy two artists approached the project at different times but failed to complete it. The first gave up on it rather early, and it's assumed that he could not visualize his way into sculpting a figure with it due to the poor quality of the marble itself. The second, working on it almost a decade later, abandoned the project after forming the figure's legs, torso, and feet. The desire and the commitment just wasn't there. The marble block sat idle for 25 more years before Michelangelo approached it. Using a chisel and a mallet, he worked on the block for four years, quietly chipping away at it until a figure appeared. That six-ton block of marble eventually became Michelangelo's masterpiece, the Statue of David, and is one of the most compelling and famous sculptures in history. The 17-foot statue depicts David in the moments before slaying the giant Goliath and is a work of art unlike anything that came before it, enthralling people for generations. Although he kept his carving techniques a secret, Michelangelo shared valuable insight into how he approached each project. He said, Every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to release it. This is a story of another artist who found a way to release figures from their stone-like blocks. This is a conversation about a man who used his immense and natural talent to bring a galaxy far, far away to children and collectors around the world. This is a window into the artistry of Bill Lemon, the legendary sculptor responsible for iconic Star Wars action figures like the Death Squad Commander, Leia Hoth, Two One B, the B Wing Pilot, and Yak Face. This is collecting prototypes. A conversation with Gary Borbidge. And this is Star Wars prototypes and production. Always. Do you see that pink-hued block of acetate sitting on that table over there? Go ahead, pick it up. Is it heavier than you thought it would be? Imagine attempting to carve a Star Wars figure from it. Where would you begin? How would you turn that chunk of hard, plastic-like material into a droid, a scavenger, an alien, a villain, or a hero? During the era of Kenner's Star Wars toys in the 1970s and 1980s, sculptors primarily used wax to create each character. If a sculptor made a mistake or wanted to modify the sculpt, parts of the wax could be removed, or elements could be added to it. For this reason, wax was the preferred medium in the first main phase of producing an action figure. But there was one sculptor who used an older and overlooked method of carving figures out of acetate. And the pieces he produced were technical and artistic achievements, and are some of the most beautiful toy-related sculpts from the previous century. That sculptor was Bill Lemon. I had first learned of Bill's work through the website The Star Wars Collector's Archive, found at the swca.com. In learning about the Kenner line and the prototypes and pre-production pieces responsible for the toys, I found the entries written by friend and steward of the hobby, Ron Salvatore, to be helpful in developing a better appreciation for Bill's sculpts. And my plan for the Collecting prototype series had always included two episodes I believed were important in presenting the process, one on wax sculpts and one on the acetate sculpts Bill created. From my estimation, it appears Bill sculpted somewhere between 15 to 20 of the more than 100 3 quarter inch figures released during the Kenner era, meaning he was responsible for 15 to 20% of the entire line. And Bill worked on figures from all three films, and on the Power of the Force line as well. In addition to being an incredible designer and artist, Bill's work was historically important to Star Wars collectors. Recently, my dear friends Gary Borbidge, Matt George, and Stephen Ward wrote and published the book Engineering an Empire, The Creators of Kenner's Star Wars Toys. They devoted a chapter on Bill's life and on his contributions to the world of Star Wars action figures. And after reading the book and beginning the Collecting prototype series for the podcast last summer, I spoke with Gary and mentioned the idea of doing an episode discussing Bill's work. Gary really seemed to like the idea, and was enthusiastic about collaborating on the episode. And honestly, I couldn't imagine doing the episode without Gary. Gary is a passionate vintage Star Wars collector, and he carries a deep appreciation and respect for Bill Lemon's craft. He shares information about Bill in our social media-based collecting groups, as well as photos of Star Wars and non-Star Wars sculpts done by the Acetate Master himself. He works to keep lit the torch that Bill first ignited decades ago. It's funny, Gary and I live pretty close to one another in New Jersey, but we finally met and became friends hundreds of miles away in Ohio during one of the Cincinnati Toy Show weekends a few years ago. And in getting to know Gary better over the years, and in reading Engineering and Empire, I've developed a better understanding of Bill as an artist and sculptor. So please join us as we sit down to discuss the sculptor who released action figures from their blocks of acetate, Bill Lemon. Here, you can sit down next to me if you'd like. And you're just in time. Here comes Gary now. Gary, how are you today?
1: Um, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Dave.
0: Ah, it's wonderful to speak to you. I, I know we we talked about doing an episode on Bill Lemon. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you in the fall of last year. I wanted to talk about wax sculpts and do an introduction, a proper introduction to the series, uh, and then bring in um, the you know the, the foremost acetate sculptor, uh, and you have shown such a passion uh, and, and a, a, a a reverence for his work, uh, which I think is really cool, and you know, you were the, the first person I thought of uh, in doing an episode like this. So, thank you so much for, for being a part of it today.
1: Well, I appreciate you thinking of me, and I appreciate uh, you know what you've been doing with your with your podcast, the uh, the series that you've uh, that you've undertaken recently. Um, really great stuff. It's great for the hobby, and hearing um, all the different people that you've had on and some different takes, and some, some some voices we you know we really haven't heard from before. Has been has been really cool, so I'm, I'm happy to be part of it, and I appreciate you uh, again thinking of me. Oh,
0: well, thank you, and I have to tell you i I love your book, Engineering an Empire. Um, I've I've used it in my research, especially you know for this collecting prototype series. Uh, it's I've said this numerous times now, but it's become an asset. It's it's a true resource, and I love the fact that every time I pull the book out and, and put it on my desk or on my my you know my table. Uh, your name is is on the cover, you know, and the, the names of my friends—you, Stephen Ward, Matt George—you guys are all, you know, the, the ones responsible for this. So, um, thank you for everything that you've done in the hobby. I know this is a huge, a, a huge project that that uh, you know the three of you put together over the course of multiple years.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. It was it was a blast to do um, traveling, uh, interviewing people, meeting people. Uh, making new friends, uh, it was it was an awesome experience, and the um, you know we're, we're we're really proud of the final product, and, and you know hearing um, people like yourself and other you know other friends in the hobby um, showing appreciation for it is, has been has been awesome, made it all worthwhile.
0: What was what was a a, a moment for you as you were doing putting this project together uh, that was just really special?
1: Um. It's hard to pick just one thing. Um, I guess my favorite parts of it were were actually traveling. We're we're going places that I've never been before. Um, you know, we were from one side of the of the country to the other, uh, interviewing people, meeting people, um, seeing collections, photographing collections. Um, so just it, it was more the process for me. It was always something I always wanted to do. Uh, I was an English major in college. I always had dreams of, 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 uh, of, of writing for a living. Uh, it didn't pan out, but um, so getting to do this project and go through the motions uh, and everything involved with producing something like this um, was just, was just awesome. to It was, um, uh, and it was awesome to deal with, uh, with some good friends and, um, and, and, um, you know, not just, you know, Stephen and Matt, but all the people that contributed and supported us and, uh, you know, gave us. Um, access to their collections and photographs and open their homes to us were um, you know it was just it was a blessing and it was um, I think the total process for me is what I, when I think back about it it's hard one thing it's the, it's the whole process that I, I really enjoyed
0: oh and, and that makes total sense and I mean, you know looking at a project like this and knowing that you were going to the homes of people who had worked at Kenner uh, you know and, and and speaking with with them or with their families. Um, to put something like this together for people, I mean, even today, as, as I was, I was going through um, the chapter on on Bill Lemon, which I just love, and I was able to really get an idea of his history um, and and his contributions, and and just you know where he worked and 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 uh, the projects that he worked on, just from the, that one chapter in your book.
1: Well. Wow. I think if uh, if I'm being honest, I think that's my my favorite chapter in the book, which um, is one that I I, uh, I contributed to the book. But um, again, I'm I'm such, I'm such a fan of his work and um, you know, how special he was as uh, as an artist and how prolific he was to the toy industry over um, you know thirty some years uh, in the business. Um, I was I was pretty proud of that chapter.
0: Oh, it's wonderful. And so, what was it though that 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 connected you to, to Bill Lemon's work in the first place? Like what was the, whether it was like a, a piece or a specific design, um, what did it for you?
1: Um, so I'm, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And when I first started kind of, even prior to, um, you know, the book project, when I first started kind of looking into and researching, uh, former, former, uh, contributors, uh, counter employees or, or contracted people, uh, I didn't know where to start. Um, so I started with with what I knew. I had a cousin that was in the um, toy industry. He's an engineer. worked for a, uh, a company in, in Pennsylvania that does um, uh, engineering um, consulting work for uh, various different toy companies. And I started with him. I said, "Hey, listen, do you know anybody that used to work for Kenner and know any connections with Kenner?" He's like, nah. "He was fairly new." He said, "I can ask around, you know, the office and see what um, you know, see what people say." Um, I come to find out that his company was kind of um, made up of other companies that kind of closed down over the years. Um, the area around Philadelphia is is was kind of like mecca for um, you know model shops uh, back in the early uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, and into the 70s that contributed to uh, into the toy industry. Um, companies like uh, HMS, companies like uh, Product Dynamics, um, Paramount Industries. There, there's quite a bit of uh, of, of um, toy history right there in that area So my cousin Who worked in the toy industry um, Was asking around Different um, you know, fellow work, co-workers that, uh, that had been um, around For a while in the toy industry And this name Bill Lemon came up uh, He came to me with it and said you know, the, you know, With a couple other names He said there's this guy named Bill Lemon Who was uh, apparently a toy sculptor uh, Lived locally in Philadelphia area And uh, apparently he did a lot of work And that's, that's all he really had He really had much information beyond that Um, I dotted the name Bill lemon down and it kind of just got tucked away in my notes. And then, um, you know, Years later, when we started the book project, we, I started hearing the name Bill Lemon again from other sculptors or you know, doing research on the Star Wars Collectors Archive, sure. and and, um, and and listening to other podcasts where, um, you know, guys like Ron and and um and and Chris and those guys are you know, we're talking about this guy named Bill Lemon, and the name just stuck with me. Obviously, it's kind of a, an easy name to remember, and um and and it kind of clicked. I was like, I heard this name before, and then so that that local connection, I think was what what really um did it for me for some reason. It was just that, like, I felt like i had an immediate connection with this guy because he was from where I was from. Um, and he was so, um, you know, important in, in the star Wars toy history, uh, his contributions to it. And, and I just, you know, the more I researched him, the more I fell in love with the process, um, you know, how he worked, the skill level that he worked in, worked at. And, um, you know, of course he produced some of the, my favorite characters in the, in the whole toy line. So I think it was, I think it was that local connection, Really started it off for me.
0: Yeah, I have to tell you. I mean, I I don't live too far from you, uh, and I don't live too far from Philadelphia as well, too. So to read that he was born in Philadelphia uh, and that he worked in Willow Grove, uh, which is one of the one of the really pretty areas in, in Pennsylvania as well, too, and just a place that I I would go to a, as a child. Uh, so I, you know, it's a part of my heart. Um, but yeah, there, there's a there's a, a sense of, of pride, you know, that he's he's uh, he's one of us. He's he's part of you know the, the uh, northern east coast uh, people. Yes. Um But yes. so was there was there a particular uh, was there a particular image or a particular piece uh, that really stood out to you at the beginning? One that, that really connected you to him.
1: Well, I think um, the Hath sculpt is, probably, in my opinion, the finest and and most well done in the entire line um and when i saw pictures of that for the first time i was i was blown away i mean seeing it unpainted seeing it kind of in its raw form uh with its you know with the most amount of detail you'll ever see i mean obviously you lose some detail in the, in the production process but seeing it in that original state uh the detailing the hair um you know the way he was able to do the folds and the um you know in, in her coat and her pants it's just um it's pretty incredible so i think it was that's probably the the piece that um i would put at the top of my list as far as star wars pieces that he did and uh and seeing that kind of blew my mind for the first time
0: and it's funny I, as i was going through your book um it's it's one of my favorite uh, photos in the book and it's it's the it's a full page uh it's the Leia hot sculpt uh, up against a blue background and I never realized it before, but there is, you know, a lot of times we look at these toys and they, they were essentially children's play toys, but there is something about that wax sculpt that is, is cinematic. Um, there is, there is an absolute beauty to it where he managed to capture uh, this, this softness of Princess Leia's character. I, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just, and, and and the the photo that you have, it's like, there's a moment where. It almost looks like she's standing by herself and just, just maybe looking out, you know, and just, just pondering something for a moment, you know, in, in kind of like a, a quiet moment, maybe in, in Empire Strikes Back. And it's absolutely – I know exactly what you mean. It's just – it's gorgeous. It's just such a gorgeous piece. And you look at this and you go, I can't believe this is a children's toy.
1: And that's, the photo I think is great too. Um, the um, collector who contributed that um, that photo – uh did a great job with it. it, captured it. Um, you know, the lighting on it I think is perfect. And it just it really does it justice. Uh and and uh, and I'll agree with you. It, it it does capture um I think Gary's um character and uh he, he did a brilliant job with it.
0: Absolutely. Uh I think my so I think my favorite um my favorite lemon sculpt, the one that really drew me to him, uh was was similar to the to the Lea Hoth, but uh, uh, I would say from the same location as the Leia But it was the um, the two one B sculpt, and I mean, I just still to this day, I'm just I'm I'm blown away by the work that he did to produce that, um, and how incredible it looks. Uh, and you know, the the plastic toy itself doesn't even do it justice because when you really break it down to each piece being um, being symmetrical and just um, y- each piece is totally different on that figure. A- and yet it's, it's a creation like we've never seen before.
1: Yeah. And that's where, so two and B is a great example of um, the type of thing that, um, that they would, they would kind of pick for Bill to do. Uh, he tended to um, sculpt things with a little bit of a harder line. Uh, so the things that are like less organic, um, were were um, kind of you know thrown his way. So like two one B and some of the other sculpts that he's he's known to have done, which is why going back to the Leia Hoth, it's 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 a very um, strange choice for him that they that they sent him such a soft character. Um, that that Leia in her quilted coat, um, with all of her soft lines, it's, it was a very um, I mean there's there is still if you kinda of look at it closely you kinda of still can see a little bit of his hard his hard line, but he was able to um, to somehow manage to to you know find a softness in that in that sculpt that is unlike um, his other his other works I think uh, I'm by no means an art critic or uh, you know, I don't really have uh, much of a um, artistic eye. Um, my co writer Steven, he's he's an artist and he's able to you know look at different sculpts and, and tell you just by looking at other ones that were known to be attributed to a certain artist and say oh that was his or this was hers. Um, I can't really do that. But um, if you know, if I didn't know that that um, Leia Hoth was done in acetate and it was it was done by Bill, I wouldn't think it. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't have suspect that it was. To be honest with you. Yeah,
0: understandable. Yeah. I like the the quilting in her jacket, and it, it's so funny because for somebody listening to this, uh, you know, who's who's not familiar with the, the Star Wars figures or Star Wars collectibles, you we might sound say, like crazy people. I get it. Yeah. Exactly. But. But it is so when you when you realize that this gentleman sculpted in acetate, in this hard plastic, and was able to get things like quilting. I mean, I would liken it to um, I, some of the artists, like like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with John um, Lorenzo Bernini, um, but he he sculpted uh, in marble. You know, when you look at some of these sculptors who were able to do this kind of stuff in marble and were able to. Um, to capture, you know, muscles or, or veins or, or, you know, just, just anything that was, was even soft, like, um, like a sheet, you know, and how difficult that is to do. And, and this guy was doing it for uh, this Leah Hoth figure in a, um, in a, in a quilted coat that he had actually, to me, it looks like he had actually made it a little uh, bigger on her so that it looked like it was padded. Um, that, that attention to detail especially from like a subtle eye is just incredible, really incredible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and it's, um, his skill level. And so that the star Wars line, when he started working on star Wars was was really toward the end of his career, um, in the toy industry. Uh, he, he got out of the, um, out of the business very shortly after kind of the, the Jedi, uh, the Jedi years. Um, so I think this is kind of the um kind of the, the, the pinnacle of all of the skills that he uh um that he had really show in in, in the star wars toy lines so i think that 's why we see some you know some of these sculpts being true works of art i mean they're um they're incredible uh and i think you know a little bit deeper into you know when we were doing the book um it, it really it it became of a um um kind of artist focus a little bit for a while there we kind of really got into wanting to highlight you know some of these um you know the, these toy artists as true artists um you know they didn't really get recognition for much else um you know some some of them have went on to do some some fine art stuff and 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 other things but um you know for, for the most part their toy legacy is is all they really have of their Uh, of their art that's, you know, they're going to be seen by the masses. Um, So to be able to highlight that and and give, you know, for example, like the Leihoth a full page, uh, the 2-1-B a full page in the book, uh, we felt that that was important because um, they deserve to be highlighted um, as those works are. And we do that with, with, uh, you know, some of the other sculptors in the book too. Um, But it became very important to us um, during our project that we, um, you know, kind of, kind of shine a light on these people and, um, you know, uh, and, and shine a light on these actual pieces and, and allow people to see them in, um, you know, kind of that piece of art type, um, mind frame, um, for lack of better terms.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you did, uh, because, as I said, I've been going through the book um for over the last few months uh using it as a resource for the podcast, and I found myself studying the photos more and more and really seeing again things that that, that blew my mind because i couldn't I couldn't figure out how a person could create that, especially you know th- this is before uh any sort of digital technology um you know where they were really doing this stuff by hand and incorporating elements of true sculpture into star Wars toys. Uh, it's just, it's mind blowing, you know, and it, it, I think it, it actually, um, to me, it, it connected us more to the figures and to the characters because the figures reminded us so much of the characters. Sure. So, so what made Bill different from everyone else? What was his process like? So,
1: uh, at the time, um, the the sculptors in house and some of the other contracted sculptors everybody was kind of working in uh, either wax or clays or a combination of both. Um, some would do their kind of their roughs in in a clay and then they would you know they would uh, they'd refine it and, and the final product would be in a, in a wax. Uh, and that was kind of like the um, kind of like the standard um, what everybody was using at the time, uh, with the exception of of Bill. Um, Bill started his um, his career. Um, back in the in the late 40s uh, and early 50s. Um, and he kind of learned under the old school way, um, the old school model maker where they were using acetate plastic where they would um, in a big shape and, and, and carve acetate plastic into whatever form or shape or, or, or product that they were producing. Um, it, was, it was very conducive to uh, model boats and model planes, model cars, kind of more straight-lined um, straight edge type things. Um, so, um, but, but that's, that's just how he, how he learned. And that's, he was kind of basically self-taught. He, I think he graduated, he didn't graduate high school. I think he was, uh, 11th grade was the, was the, the highest he went in school and uh, never had any formal art training. And kind of just kind of just picked it up, um, kind of learned on, on the fly on the job. And, um, so he continued that, Throughout his career, that's just that was his process. That's how he did things, and he was just so skilled and so proficient um, that uh, that it worked for him. And um, he was he was pretty sought after as far as uh, in the toy industry because he, uh, with acetate, it's a very hard product where wax is obviously very very soft and, and fragile. Um, so his final work could be you know you could skip some processes in the in the pre production process. You could go right from his sculpt uh, into into uh, mold making. You, know, you can make tooling from from his final product uh, where in wax, you'd have to, you'd have to um, cast it and make your hard copies and then go, from, you know, it's kind of some extra steps to get to that final project where product, where, where Bill, you could go right to, uh, right to the final product with. Um, so he would, um, instead of kind of building up and, and using waxes or, or clays and things to kind of build up a piece, he would take a solid block of, of acetate plastic and kind of carve it away. If you think of it like you're whittling a piece of wood, he would do that with, uh, with a solid block of, of plastic, um, with rotary tools and, and hand scrapers. And, um, you know, it was all done by, by hand. Um, so you can, you see how unforgiving it would be if, if a mistake was made where, you know, you're using wax or clay, you can just add a little bit of clay back or add a little bit of wax back. If you, if you take a piece of uh, plastic off that you didn't want to come off, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was um, pretty much it. Um, I think there's probably some ways to maybe correct it like you know, putting a piece out, blowing a piece of plastic back in. But you're talking about major, major work um, that would have to get scrapped. Um, so um, there was there was really no room for error when you know in the process that he was doing. He he was so good at it um, that uh, that he was able to pull it off.
0: You had mentioned before you said uh, that he used rotary tools. Uh, so how would you describe a rotary tool?
1: It was kind of like a Dremel tool, or like a dental tool, like kind of like a dental drill. Um, Actually, back in when you know you started in the the fifties, they basically were just that. It was kind of like a like a dental tool. And they would kind of um, they use special tips or special you know um, kind of those like Dremel bits or like drill bits that that they would modify and kind of make um, you know make this you know serve the purpose that they needed them for. Um, So basically, kind of just like a it would be like a um, like a a hand, um, almost like a wand a drill bit head and it would have a pedal and you can control the speed, um, you know, uh, of the drill with, uh, with a foot pedal.
0: And so that's how he would basically remove plastic to get to that point that, uh, that he wanted this, uh, a portion of the sculpt to look.
1: Exactly. And then the, uh, small scrapers are usually kind of modified hacksaw blades or pieces of metal that they would kind of grind down or, or shape to, to, you know, to, for a particular purpose. And then they would finish with that to get the you know to get the plastic smooth to get those finer details. As far as his, his process, the way he he did things, um, you know, we, we we know that he would take a solid block of acetate. Um, but one of the things that was pretty incredible about what he was able to do um, when you're when you're um, you know when you're doing toy sculpts, parting lines is is one of the things you have to consider with with everything. Um, the toy has to be produced. It has to be made in a mold. It has to have, you know, the mold has to be able to open. So there has to be a line on that particular, um, you know, sculpt where that's going to happen. So, for um you know for our, our artists that worked in uh you know wax or, or or clay another medium they would um there's there's actually existing sculptures you can see that sometimes they'll have like a, like a pencil line or a marker line kind of drawn where the parting line on a particular toy is going to go and then they would you know during the molding process they would they would match that up and, and they would make their mold halves you know in line with those those parting lines that they drew on um what bill would do is he would basically you know he would take his block of acetate he would cut it in half he would carve one half and then match up the second half and then carve the second half. So he would do things in halves. Cause if you were to take a solid block of acetate, do your sculpt in a, in an entire kind of chunk, you know, one solid piece, you would then have to cut that in half. And obviously that wouldn't work because you would lose some of your sculpt by sawing it in half. You're going to lose some, uh, you know, some, you know, that, that part of your, of your final product. So he would actually have to do it in halves, which was even more incredible. Um, that he was able to kind of make a final product in two separate halves at, you know, kind of two separate times. You'd have to entirely sculpt the first half and then slap it to an, another raw piece of acetate and sculpt the back half, um, which was, was pretty cool. Um, in cases where he would, you know, he couldn't figure out the parting lines where he would do a solid, um, you know, kind of one chunk of sculpt, he would then have to cut it in half afterwards. Half of it would get thrown away, and then he would have to sculpt the second half so a ton of images it was a you know very labor-intensive long process to do it that way but um that was that was how he was doing things and to think about doing habs uh, versus you know just taking something and building it up and seeing it 3d um you could see how much more involved and how much harder it would be to do it and he was able to pull it off incredibly
0: what was his first job
1: all right. So in, in 1949, he answered a, uh, an ad in the paper for a model maker. And he, uh, at the time, he didn't even know what that was. He didn't even know what the job, a model maker was. <laughs> uh, I was with a company called, uh, Phil Darum. They were in Bryn Mawr, PA. And, um, he kind of learned on the job. He was a natural kind of just naturally artistic. And it was basically making models for cars, boats, um, they, they kind of glued together model kits back in the in the 1950s that were that were extremely popular. Um, didn't really last very long. There, he moved shortly after from from Durham to uh, HMS, which was kind of their competitor at the time. Uh, it was a bigger model shop in HMS. We you know we talked about Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, uh, and that's where he met Ray Myers. Um, Ray kind of took him under his wing. Uh, Ray was um, pretty established in in the business. He is most well known for doing the Universal Monster model kits by Aurora. Um they were kind of a uh pretty big hit in the 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s. They kept kind of doing relaunches of the of the model line um mm-hmm. for the for the monsters. And um and that's where I think Bill really learned um the the um kind of the meat and potatoes of his skills was from was from Ray. Um Ray described him as being uh, naturally artistic, he picked everything up super quick. Um, just kind of had a knack for it. And, um, and later on actually Bill became his competitor in the industry. Uh, and they, uh, they were you know, kind of friendly competitors, but, um, they, uh, they both ultimately ended up kind of freelancing and, uh, would, would compete for the, the same job. So, um, Ray kind of shot himself a little bit in the foot, but I don't think he would, uh, I don't think he would argue it. Uh, they kind of had, like I said, a very, very friendly rivalry. Um sure. so um that was where he got to start uh h m s is where he spent mm, i think about ten years maybe a little over ten years before kind of going out on his own in uh in nineteen sixty two i believe is when he left h m s and um you know when when full time freelance uh he opened a company called nomel plastics, which was uh, nomel was lemon backwards and um he continued right where he left off though he picked up model work. Um, you know on his own uh, was was getting figural sculpting work from model companies toy companies um, you know pretty much every major uh, toy company in business at the time uh, was, was sending work uh, his way he did extensive work for uh, marks um, Louis Marx the, um, they had their their plastic uh, kind of figural toys um, in the, in the 50s and 60s and he did An overwhelming ton of them.
0: What kind of what kind of figures did he do for Marx? Uh,
1: He did um, knights. He did um, soldiers. He did. um, There was a a line of like space astronauts. Uh, There was there was a whole line of uh, presidents. Uh, he did, um, both their, their, their six inch scale. So they're larger, larger figures, uh, Cowboys, Indians. He did, um, uh, the uncle line or the, the television show uncle. Yes. He did the entire line for that. Um, he did yeah. most of, I would say most of his work, his career work was during that time period in the, uh, in the fifties into the sixties when he was doing Mark stuff his, his the amount of work that he did for them was, was, Pretty
0: prolific. So in your book, um, you had mentioned that uh, the first piece that Bill did, uh, his first figural model, it was in 1956, and it was The Silver Knight of Augsburg. Um, have you ever seen this this item, uh, the, the sculpt, in person?
1: I've never seen the sculpt, no. Um, I did manage to pick up an actual uh, box. Copy, uh, you know, kind of a production example of the model, but I've never seen the sculpt. I've never seen any of the Aurora stuff. I know um, a couple pieces do exist out there, um, but I've never seen—I've never seen them in person. now So yeah, um, so Aurora, they just they did contract work through HMS. Uh, Bill was at HMS, and he was doing most of his Aurora uh, model kit projects. So they were kind of, you know, again, they contracted HMS to do those projects. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that night was the first, he actually did a bunch of the nights in that series. I think there was a couple that he didn't do, but that was his kind of his start into figural sculpting. Um, and he did, he went on to do, um, I like think the monster, the, the, uh, the, um, universal monster series was, I think is the most popular of the figural kits that Aurora did. And he did quite a bit on that, him and Ray Myers, um, it was kind of, again, we, we talked about him a little bit earlier that um, he kind of took under his wing when he started, but they both um, contributed to those monster models quite a bit until he, uh, until he left, He like 62 is when he left HMS and went out on his own.
0: And the Aurora Universal model kits were really popular at the time, right? They
1: were huge. So they, I mean, they're, they're still like highly collectible and there's, you know, there's a whole group of crazy collectors just like crazy Star Wars collectors that are into the, uh, into the model kit, um, you know, model kit world. You had mentioned
0: that he had started his own company. Yeah.
1: So he, um, I think, I think the story goes that he kind of had a disagreement or didn't really get along with someone at HMS. So, um, and he knew like, I think by that time he knew how desirable he was, um, that he was, you know, he was producing a ton of work for HMS and, um, I think that the, whoever he wasn't getting along with in conjunction with realizing that he could probably do this as well, if not better, um, with, uh, with going freelance. Um, yeah, he went out on his own and, and started no plastics, which is, uh, which is lemon backwards, no Uh, and that was a, um, a little second floor studio in Ambler PA. Um, it's kind of, um, his own little thing. He, he did it by himself. Didn't have any other employees, Basically, just would sit for, um, uh, 50 to 70 hours a week and, and carve acetate. And, um, he, I think he, I think one of his first project when he went out on his own, when he, when he started Nomel was, um, creature from the black lagoon, um, for Aurora. So he did get some Aurora work after he left, uh, um, HMS, which is which kind of, in, um, you know, kind of sends a message that uh you know he, he was right about making the decision to go out on his own because you know Aurora didn't send that project to HMS they sent that project to Bill.
0: Oh wow yeah that's a true testament to his work. Okay and then in the mid nineteen seventies uh he began to, he was contracted for Migo.
1: Yeah he did some uh, he did some stuff for Migo um through the sixties he did a ton of works uh, again a ton of work for Marx Louis Marx um, their, um, their toys. Um, and, uh, yeah, he did, he, he worked for, um, yeah, pretty much a, every major toy company in the business at that time was sending him work.
0: Uh, so, um, John Gardner, uh, contracted bill, um, to work on the star Wars line in 1977. And, um, and bill had actually contributed to two of the figures within the first 12. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Which ones were they? uh,
1: So so Bill, um, John Garner, as you know, was running, um, I guess for people who don't know, was running the Kenner um, sculpting department at the time when um, Kenner got the the Star Wars license. And as we know, the, the time crunch for the first figures was what well, crazy. Um I we'll have to go back over that story we all know about you know the early bird kit and and, and how they were scrambling to try to get product on the shelf. So um John sent out he basically sent the first twelve figures primarily were done outsourced. Um he had, he he knew sculptors in the industry around the country, um California based sculptors, the lemon on the east coast, um, you know John had his finger on the on the the pulse of the, the toy sculpting industry and and knew who to go to for different projects to try to get this stuff done. He knew he was very limited with what he would be able to do in house. Um, with the, you know, I think he only had uh, three sculptors working in house at the time when uh, when when Kenner got Star Wars. So he knew he had a he kind of had a um, look outside of of uh, the Kenner walls to get those projects completed. And, uh, and Bill was one of the people that he, that he went to, um, were for helping those projects in the beginning. And, uh, Bill was, um, he was sent the death squad commander and he would send the Jawa to, to complete. There's, there's really not much out there for the Jawa though. Um, I think I've seen some, maybe a picture or two that I probably wasn't supposed to see, but, um, you know, there, there's a picture of the Jawa out there. Um, you know, I know that it exists put it that way um we had a squad commander uh it's on the archive if uh i don't know if we've said this already during this conversation or not but if you haven't checked out the star wars collectors archive and the uh, the examples of bill work uh, bill's work on there um you're missing out because there's 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 some images on there that, that aren't in the book um that are on the archive with some great write-ups ron uh i think ron did every write-up for um the bill lemon pieces on the on the archive and uh there's some there's some great stuff on there to check out, and, and the Death Squad Commander is one of them.
0: Okay, so did he do anything else for the Star Wars line?
1: Yeah, so Bill, yeah, you know, I mean, he went on to contribute quite a bit to um, to, to the Star Wars line. Um, for I guess for uh, under the Star Wars release, he he also worked on the 12 inch line uh, probably one of his, you know, right close second to uh, the Leia. And the two one B would be the uh, twelve inch C three PO, which I think is just an absolutely killer sculpt. If you if you uh, it's on the archive, check check pictures of that out. It's um, it's pretty incredible. the the symmetry, the uh, how you know how you know clean it is. It's it's um, it's really really remarkable what he did with that. Uh, he also did the twelve inch stormtrooper um and then uh he did some work on the, the diecast line he did the uh the loop and the c3po that are uh in the cockpit of the diecast land speeder um which is uh pretty cool to see how he did that. i think that was done in a um and that was scaled up uh I don't know if he did i'm not sure if it was a two up or a four up but he did uh he did
0: that as well he had basically sculpted not not the landspeeder itself, but the figures, and he did them at a, as you said, a, a two up or a four up, so at, at twice the size or a four times the size of what the actual size would be. Yes.
1: Yep. Correct. And it was kind of a throwback to, I think, when he was doing the, um, you know, his model work when he was, you know, sculpting pilots into cockpits of planes and things like that. It was kind of just just them seated on little blocks of wood, um, little acetate figures of uh, of Luke and, and C-3PO.
0: What did he do on the Empire Strikes Back line?
1: Uh, we talked about 2-1-B. We talked about Leah, Hoth. Um, he did the ADAT driver. He did the... Um, he did Zuckus, um, which is a pretty cool image on the archive of uh, Unproduced Head for Zuckus. Um, I think in Ron's write-up, um, and I'll agree with him. I think that he probably did the entire figure and they kept the, you know, the body that bill did, but they changed the head. Um, so you could see the unproduced acetate, um, head for Zuckus on the archive. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty significantly different than the, than the final product that, that we know. Um, mm-hmm. he did a ton of work on the micro line. So that's kind of empire era there. And, uh, the twelve-inch IG88 is uh, is attributed to Bill. I'm trying to think, what am I missing?
0: Uh, there's the Tie Fighter pilot,
1: right? Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah so there's, um, and again, if you look kind of uh, look at the similarities in what projects were sent to him, you know, you have uh, robot, robot, um, Tie pilot, AT-AT driver, kind of, you know see the similarities and what projects they were selecting for him more of those kind of non-organic type, uh, type projects
0: mm-hmm. more rigid characters too exactly yep yeah. yes okay. and then and you said his work continued into the return of the Jedi era as well. <laughs> yes. Um, so Jedi um,
1: rebel commando, General Madine, uh, General Medine's on the archive you could check that out. Uh, 8D8, B-Wing pilot, uh, original uh, Luke Jedi, ATST driver. Um, and I guess if you want to consider Jedi, he's uh, he's also attributed with uh, with Yak Face, which is Power of the
0: Force. Uh, do you have a, a favorite from, from the Return of the Jedi era sculpts? Um, I think the
1: Rebel Commando is really well done. Uh, again, I love um, what he was able to do, and that's kind of a kind of a softer character, you know, kind of kind of baggy fatigues. Um, and they, um, you know, what he was able to do with uh, with, with the fold and cloth is, is pretty remarkable when you're dealing with you know kind of carving away versus building up with uh, you know with material. You're kind of um, pretty incredible what he was uh, what he's able to pull off there. So I think the Rebel Commando would probably be my favorite of the Jedi characters.
0: And the backpack was added on later
1: in Wax, right? Yes. Yep. And again, you can check that one out on the archive too. That the Rebel Commando is on there. So yeah, I think that uh, I'm not sure what's underneath the backpack. Whether it was initially had a backpack or if that was just completely added after the fact. Um, But that was pretty common, um, you know, common occurrence. um, Like we saw with the uh, with the Zuckas, they weren't happy with um, you know the the product that that came in. Not necessarily product, but there were some modifications. Um, some of his sculpts are known to have been a little bit treated, so they kind of softened them up a little bit. They added, added waxes, um, you know, or, or would kind of modify things in places or or redo an entire part like a head um, or add an entire part like a backpack with the, with the Rebel Commando. So um, yeah, so I'm not sure what happened with that one. I'm not sure if they just decided after the fact they wanted a backpack on it or maybe weren't happy with the backpack that, um, that Bill sculpted.
0: Um, while you were writing the book, was there anything that came out um, that you didn't know about his work?
1: Um, I think just uh, I focused on, um, you know, Star Wars primarily, you know, when we were, we were doing the what when, when we first started, obviously that was the focus of our project which was, you know, the kind of Star Wars line. Um, but to, to find out how much he did in the toy industry, how much, His work spans, you know, 30 plus years. Um, And it was, I mean, it was everywhere from, you know, these model kits back in the, in the fifties, all the way up to like, uh, he did stuff for Knickerbocker. He did stuff for LJN. He did stuff for obviously Kenner um, and everywhere in between, just the the volume of work that this guy produced is, uh, is pretty incredible. Um, And it's all he did for, for 30 years was, was sculpt acetate um, for, he said 50 to 70 hours a day or 50, 50 to 70 hours a week. Um, pretty much honest. It's uh, you know, and I think from what his son, I, I spoke to both of Bill's sons and from what they said, you know, that you know, dad wasn't really around much. Just that he spent the majority of his time at the studio um, and working. He, he never considered himself an artist, which was surprising to me. Um, you know, given how, Talented, I believe that he is, and and, and it really is. I mean, the um, the, to not see himself as that was kind of shocking to me. Uh, he he looked at it as something to pay the bills. You know, he looked at it as like you know this was just this was work. Um, and sadly, um, you know when he when he shut the doors on Nomel, everything that was in his studio, all of his uh, you know, everything that was on the shelves, all of his uh, you know, the stuff that he had worked on, and and uh, went in the dumpster. He, um, he basically shut the doors, threw everything away like it was – that's all it was. It was just a byproduct of what paid the bills. Um, wow. Sad that, because, I mean, I what he realized, you know, exactly – you know, I'm sure he's heard over the years you know how good he was, and obviously he got paid a lot of money and, and a lot of work sent to him because of his, his skill and, and talent, but uh, it, was, it was kind of sad to hear that he didn't, you know, look at it as art, um, you know, as, as we see it
0: now. Yeah, and one of the nicest things that that I read in your book uh, about him um, was that, and, and I forget the um, the artist, uh, the sculptor that it was who it was attributed to. I think it was Stephen Gettys, mm-hmm. um, but he he had said that um, when a, a lemon sculpt would come in, all of the sculptors would gather around it to look at the the craftsmanship on it.
1: Yeah, and these um, most of the existing. Um you know, Bill Lemon sculpts that are, that are still around from, from Kenner, um, they were kept by other sculptors. So these guys, you know, these, the other artists, the other sculptors appreciated his skill, appreciated, um, you know, what he was doing and to the point where they actually, you know, kept some of his examples of his work because it it, it meant that to them. Um, they recognized that and it was something that they wanted to, to hold on to and keep because of it.
0: So you published the book in 2019, um, has there been any new information that you've learned since then? So funny, so I don't know if
1: it was, uh, again, I, I saw, I talked to both of, of Bill's sons and I don't know if it was like a, like an inside family joke or, um, or where it came from or if it was something that was kind of just, again, Bill was born in the 1920s. I'm not sure, um, you know, how it would have happened, but, um, I was told that his real name was George. Um, George William Lemon, and he just went by he went by Bill. Um, but um, since since we published the book, I, my, again, my research has continued on him. Um, I have plans of maybe a follow up project, just focused on Bill himself um, and anything I can find, like legal documents, um, anything that that I've been able to turn up so far. there's no reference to George, so I don't know where George came from. I don't know if it's just again a, a family thing or maybe his an inside joke or something like that. And sons, uh, they got me to put it in the print. I don't know. Um, so I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Sure. Well, we all
0: knew him as bill.
1: That's yeah, every that's, that's what everybody calls him. That's, that's, uh, that's what I'll call him too. So, um, the, uh, I, again, just going back to the amount of work that he did just um you i've 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 gotten deep into deeper into the uh marks kind of toy collector world and the the, the uh the model kit collector world and i'm you I'm kind of learning um a ton from those guys um you know there's a kind of a there's a lot of information out there more so in the model kit um world about uh about bill um but i've I've gotten pretty friendly with a very knowledgeable uh marks toy collector um, who's, who shared a lot of information with me and shared, um, you know, a lot of examples of Bill's work from his Mark dates, Um, and it's, uh, you know, every time I see a new piece that, that he did, it's, it's pretty incredible, um, to, to see that it, that it survived and, you know, how much of it, um, you know, is, is still around. Um, so I would say just, you know, the, the again, the volume of, 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 of what he produced and contributed to the, um, to the toy world and, um model world is uh, incredible that that continues to surprise me
0: it's fantastic well if anyone would would like to continue uh learning more about bill i think one of the best places to start uh, is with your book gary so it's it's a book that you wrote with matt george and stephen ward it's called engineering and empire the creators of kenner's star wars toys um, i can tell you firsthand that it is An absolute asset. Uh, It's one of my collecting resources. uh, And to know that my friends put it together is is something very special. Um, So thank you for taking, as you said, four years to um to really, you know, to meet with these people, to research, uh, and and to give us a chapter on Bill Lemon. Uh, because I think most of us maybe know the name, right? We've heard it before, but I I think, you know, for the most part, we really don't know who he is. Uh or, or we're not as familiar with even, you know which figures he produced. Um, and I know for me, the, you know, the, book, the book and uh, the Star Wars Collector's Archive were two essential assets in, in helping me to, to understand what kind of stuff he did for Star Wars. Uh, and so, again, I, I thank you so much for Engineering an Empire. I absolutely love it.
1: No, I'm so glad you, uh, you enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, there's definitely there's copies available if anybody's interested, um, engineeringandempirebook.com. Um, check it out, and uh, yeah, definitely check out the, uh, the Star Wars Collector's Archive, the examples of Bill's work on that. It's some great pictures, some great write-ups, um, again, stuff that's not in the book that uh, if you want to check it out, you can, you can see some, um, some great stuff that Bill worked on um, on, uh, on the archive. And um, you know, keep an eye out. Um, I, like I mentioned, I, I do have plans on um, the kind of beginning phases of a project, um, where, um, I want to highlight more of, uh, of Bill's work, you know, his, his model work, his, uh, his, uh, other contributions to the, to the toy industry. Um, so it's in the works, it's, uh, you know, kind of an ongoing, uh, uh ongoing process. So we'll see where that goes, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about that right now. And, uh, so keep an eye out for that in the future.
0: I love that you're doing that and that, you know, you're working on it. It's, it's very difficult to produce and to publish a book. And the fact that you're working on this and bringing this stuff to light, um, you know, you're at a point now where you're, you're somebody who is teaching, you know, who is bringing this knowledge and this information uh, that, that otherwise could be lost. Um, So I, I can't wait to see uh, what comes of this, of this book. Um, You know, again, it's putting a book together is always a very difficult process. Um, But I love the fact that you're pursuing it. And, uh, and I, I think you know, to have something that's focused solely on him and his work um, is going to mean so much to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about it, and uh, and also to Engineering Empire, our second book. We're we're actively working on that as well. So kind of a uh, kind of a lot of irons in the fire right now. Um, but we're uh, you we know, going to draw a line with the first book as far as how many you know uh, stories we could tell on that. So um, there's there's lots more to tell. So uh, also keep an eye out for follow-up to Engineering and Empire. And uh, we hope to, to get that in your hands soon, too.
0: Fantastic. It's another, another volume to, uh, to an excellent series that you, uh, you gentlemen are, are bringing to us. So thank you again. And Gary, thank you so much for taking the time out to, uh, you know, to speak to me today and, and uh, to give everyone a little bit more uh, you know, of the history of, of Bill Lemon, um, what makes him so important to our, our collecting community and to our hobby. Uh, and also for, for shining a light on, on uh, what made him so unique and so special. Because uh, I, I think, you know, we've seen pictures and we have a general idea of him at times, but to, to actually see his work, whether it's in person or in photos, and just to have an idea of, of the type of skill that he had. Um, you know, I, I think you mentioned in the book, too, that by the time he was, he was actually um, working on Star Wars, he was working in a medium that was no longer being used people were, were focused more on wax correct absolutely
1: yeah it was it was the uh, the old school way of of doing things and um um truly incredible that he was able to continue that into action figure um you know production you know it, it worked well for you know things are not with no moving parts and kind of straight lines both cars like we talked about but um I think that's what makes him so special that he was, he was doing it in a way that nobody was doing it. It was twice as hard. He was doing it twice as good and twice as fast um, as, uh, as others in the industry kind of doing it in other medium. So.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out tonight to, uh, to sit and chat with me. And uh, man, I just, I I love talking to you about this and you were so passionate about him and about the, uh, about collecting in general and it's just it's always a, a blessing and a, and a, a wonderful experience to, to speak with you it was absolutely
1: my pleasure david um i really enjoyed talking about um about bill lemon about his work uh, obviously about star wars toy history and uh, it was it was it was my pleasure um and i appreciate the the series that you're doing and, and uh, i really hope you keep it up I, I look forward to hearing um to hearing more
0: I'd like to have you come on and, uh, and we'll do you know, another conversation about uh, Mr. Lemon at some point in the future. Sounds great. All right. Take care, Gary. All right. You too. Take care. Thanks.